Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. What's the most famous chapter in the Bible? It's hard to argue against Psalm 23. It's only six verses long, but it's been quoted, prayed, memorized, and sung all over the world, 2,500 years after it was written by King David. We're staying in it for four weeks, looking at the places God meets us, the green pastures, the right paths, the dark valleys, and the dinner tables. To find out more about our church, to attend a service, or to give online, visit threecreekschurch.com. Well, good morning again, Three Creeks. It's great to be together. It's great to be with the Lord. And my name is Joel Trainer, and I get to be the pastor here. And from time to time, uh, we get to have somebody come and, and share a message with us who is not from here. And today is one of those days. So uh, Daniel Grothy is here in the house. He's from Colorado Springs, Colorado, a pastor at New Life Church. Uh, we met uh, 10 years ago, yeah, yeah. and uh, I just feel so thankful to have him here. When I, I told you a couple times that this wasn't the series that we had planned. We had planned something else, and God just really, we really felt strongly that we were supposed to call an audible. And so uh, to keep with the football terms, uh, I threw a Hail Mary, <laughs> and that is a football play where you've got 60 yards to go with one play left and you hope something good happens. And I texted Daniel and I said, Daniel, will you come out and be a part of this series? And we caught the touchdown. <laughs> uh, I was in shock. I, and, and the next day we, we, he booked some flights and said, sure. And so I just feel, I, I could tell a lot of stories. I've kind of been racking my brain as to, as to what to share. Um, but I just, I'll just say this, Daniel is the pastor that I want to be. He's the dad that I want to be. He's the husband I want to be. I don't know him really, really well, but I follow him closer than I'd like to admit publicly. And uh, he's the pastor that I want to be. And so if you get mad at me or something, just, just wait. I'll, I'll, I'm trying to be like Daniel. Just give me some time, all right? And uh, I, just am, I just am so thankful to get to have Daniel here with us today. Uh, he wrote a book that I am currently reading. It came out really just a couple weeks ago. It's called The Power of Place. Uh, it's the second book that he's written. The other one is called Chasing Wisdom. And some of y'all might recognize Daniel from a podcast that we did last summer on the book, Chasing Wisdom. Uh, Power of Place, there's copies in the hallway. Daniel's going to be hanging out there. So if you want to meet him and, and get one of these, I would encourage it. Can we give a Three Creeks welcome to Daniel Grothy. I, I could just weep with what we've witnessed today, with April and Sage. Don't look now, but the kingdom of God is coming and the will of God is being done on the earth as it is in heaven. So can we celebrate one more time what we've witnessed this morning? What a miracle, what a blessing. I am thrilled to be here to the band who led us so beautifully. I, I, I go a lot of places, and I'll just tell you, there's a lot of people that don't have it as good as you do. The team that just led us this morning is excellent. Let's give it up for the worship team and <laughs> folks like Jenny and Aaron who make this place go. I came in early, and they're getting out of bed, and they're setting up, and they're going to tear down later, and just serving because they love Jesus and they love his church. So I bless you all, and uh, to be here today with Joel and Morgan, uh, I, I, like Joel said, we met a little over a decade ago, and I thought, there's a guy that's going to help carry the kingdom of God forward. Like, there's a man of God, and 
to see him and his wife and their children and this place flourishing. Uh, you are so blessed to have the pastors that you have. So one more time for Joel and Morgan, let's give it up today. God bless you. Thanks for having me. Today we're continuing the series as we go through this iconic, this ancient Hebrew psalm, Psalm 23. And so let's pray as we get started here. I, I believe that the Word of God is powerful and that it moves and that it does stuff that we can't do in our own strength. And so would you just uh, invite the Holy Spirit? Now, Lord, we pray, come and speak. We pray, Lord, that you would move through this place and walk every aisle and walk every heart today. We see from Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be light and there was light. And so we pray, Lord, that as these words go forward today, that you would do that all over again. Into the darkness of our existence, would you say, let there be light? Into the darkness of our, our relationships, would you say, let there be light? Into the darkness of even mental health battles that some of us are fighting, we pray today that as the word goes forth, that you would say, let there be light. And so we say, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done today. In Jesus' name and all God's people said... Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside quiet waters, and he restoreth my soul, and he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runneth over, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Even people who are not Christians know that, right? Like, like you go to a funeral, and you're going to hear Psalm 23, or you've been to a grandma's house, and it's up on her refrigerator, you know? Someone stitched it, you know? Psalm 23, and... These words, these words are, are in our cultural vocabulary. These words are in many of our psyches and in our souls. And there's some really beautiful moments here that you've studied. And as I've listened to the podcast of what you guys have been teaching through, such great work that God has done to be our good shepherd. And we know the ancient Hebrews came up with this, but we've translated into such astounding Victorian poetry. And Green pastures and quiet waters, he restoreth my soul. That ancient King James translation. Can you sense the almost adolescent serenity and the, the goodness of the beginning of this psalm? The Lord is my shepherd and there's shalom. There's peace. There's goodness. There's this time of innocence that we sense as we read the very beginning of this psalm. And we've got three kids, 14, Lillian, and then uh, Wilson and Wakely, our boys are 12 and 9. And there's just in this little bubble of God's blessing and goodness and the innocence. And, it, and, and while that's working, celebrate it, soak it up, receive the gift. If life is working, if you've felt the blessing of the good shepherd, receive it and enjoy it. There's so much goodness to be found in God. That's real. But David is a good writer, and David has paid attention to the human condition long enough to know that it's not just that. <laughs> so he opens with the Lord as the shepherd and all the green pastures and all the quiet waters and all the blessing, 
But David here in this moment is luring us in. He's setting us up. He's, he's bringing us in for this moment to tell us the, the other bit of truth about the human condition. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Have you ever experienced the valley of the shadow of death? When you were high on the mountaintop and the blessing of God was at your back and driving you forward. And there, even though I walk, he says, boom, there is this moment where we, where we sometimes bottom out, where we come apart at the seams, where life takes a turn that we weren't expecting, where we end up in a hospital room that we weren't expecting to be in, where we sit on the front row of a heartbreaking funeral that we hoped happened four or five decades from now, but here we are at the funeral, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David had lived a beautiful life. He was a shepherd out in his father's field. He was the young one. He was protected. In fact, when the ancient uh, prophet Samuel came into his father Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel, Saul was going to be dethroned, and God was raising up a new king. And so Samuel, the prophet, comes to Jesse's house because he heard he had all these boys and the Spirit of the Lord was doing something in this house. And so he comes to this house and, and he goes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven boys. No, the king is not here. And he says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? He goes, well, I, I got one more, but you know, he's not even worth bringing into the house. He's clearly not the next king of Israel. He's out in the, the, the fields with the sheep. David is living in this kind of protected, quiet space, tucked away in his father's field, and David was called up. He begins, he, he's anointed, and he begins to serve in, in Saul's court, and Saul would be troubled by the devil, and, and David would come in and play his harp, and, and the, the evil spirits left him, and Saul got his mind back, and David is rising up, and, and he's becoming this man that everyone recognizes that the hand of the Lord is upon him. David is coming out of, of hiding, and he's going to lead God's people forward, and it was going great for David until it wasn't. Saul starts to notice how much the people love this young man, David. And Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Like David is the rising star and Saul's jealousy burns in him. And he starts trying to pin him to the wall with a spear. He's chasing him. And David finally, it gets so bad, he's driven out of the palace and into the wilderness. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David had done nothing wrong. He was blessing Saul and honoring Saul and helping Saul keep the monarchy together and leading the, the, the army beautifully. David had done nothing wrong, but now he's about to pay with it, with his life. David is now driven out into the caves. He's on the run. He's a, he, he's a vigilante in, in the kingdom. and Saul's trying to kill him and setting traps and ambushes for him, and garrisons of soldiers had been deployed to go get David and bring his head back to me. And David says, yes, there are moments when you're on top of the mountain. Or yes, there are moments when the good shepherd leads you into green pastures and beside quiet waters. Yes, there are moments when he restores your soul. And there's also moments when you're on the run and you're hiding in the wilderness and you're, you're, you're holed up in a cave, even though you've done nothing wrong, you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David understands this story. Lisa and I, my bride is here, and 
We were getting ready. 17 years ago, we were getting ready to be married, and we were so excited. I was 21 at the time, 22, and, and uh, planning. I'm finishing up college, and we're getting ready to get married. And to move to Colorado Springs, we had both been offered jobs. I was offered a job at New Life Church, where I am today, 17 years ago. And Lisa was offered a teaching job, and we were just engaged, and we were going to get married and then pack up everything we had. So we, we did get married that summer. We threw everything we had in a little Penske truck, and we started leaving Tulsa, Oklahoma, driving across Kansas. God bless them. Kansas. It's like driving on a treadmill, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then we take a left. We go west, and we're going out toward the Rocky Mountains, and John Denver is not full of it. Like, it, there are Rocky Mountains out. Any of you got that reference to Dumb and Dumber? Anyway, God bless you. I mean, beautiful Pikes Peak, snow-capped, it's glorious. We're not in Oklahoma anymore. <laughs> like, we're in the Rocky Mountains, and it's stunning, and we're newly married and dual income, no kids. We got a little apartment and one car, and praise God, we're starting to build a life in our church. When we got there, we were on top of the world. Our pastor was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, a 30 million member group in Washington, D.C. And when Congress was debating legislation on different issues, they would call us and they would say, what do Christians think about this? And Mel Gibson got on a private jet and flew to our church to release the passion of the Christ for the first time. It was intoxicating. We had 3,000 pastors there in the room and Mel's on the stage with our pastor interviewing and George W. Bush, president at the time, Skyped in to our pastor's conference and was hamming it up with our senior pastor. We were 14,000 members, and we were kicking butt and taking names until we weren't. Our senior pastor was caught in a salacious scandal that was on the front page of not every American newspaper, but every global newspaper. Like, the story wrote itself, it was so bad. We lose our senior pastor overnight. We discover in that time that we're actually $26.5 million in debt. Just as there's this 2007-2008 global downturn coming, the economy is crashing. So we lose our senior pastor. 30% of our church leaves overnight. We are $26.5 million in debt. With a global downturn, we fire 44 people overnight. We're heartbroken. Ten months later, we finally get a new senior pastor who we don't know. He comes from Dallas, Texas. He shows up at our church, and 100 days in, we're starting to regain some trust. Like, oh, I, th I think this guy might be decent. And we feel the wind of the Spirit. It, the wind was at our face, but now here on day 100, the, it feels like it's shifting and starting to carry us forward. And people are coming back to church, and there's some trust being restored. We were heartbroken, but, but I think we can find a future. We're, like, the, the Good Shepherd might be leading us out of the valley of the shadow of death. This is what it feels like. It's a Sunday morning, 9 a.m. service was great, 11 a.m. service was great, families are starting to get their kids and we're packing up, you know, the end of the church day. And so it's the end of the church day and I'm standing down at the end of our children's hallway just greeting folks as they're leaving, hugging it out with, you know, families and their kids. And all of a sudden, I hear the very worst sound you could ever expect to hear, not just in church, but anywhere. ba 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 a guy comes on our campus with an assault rifle and a thousand rounds of ammunition and is spraying bullets everywhere. He killed two teenage girls out in the parking lot, 16 and 18, and then storms in our building, and he's just, just going for it. 
A security guard runs at him, a little five foot three lady with a handgun, shoots him in the leg, he falls down and takes his life in our children's hallway. A hundred days into getting a new senior pastor, 12 months after losing our founding senior pastor and firing a bunch of friends, even though I walk through the valley, I did not think it could get any worse. And yet here we are in our church grieving and David says, yes, there are these moments when life is working. There's these moments when everyone's gathered together around the kitchen table and singing hymns and great is thy faithfulness and the economy's right and the job is right and your health is right. There are those moments. When those moments happen, celebrate the good shepherd is taking care of you, period. And there are also those moments when you crash into the valley of the shadow of death And David says, that's a part of life too. So what I want to do today is talk about what we can learn from this text about life in the valley of the shadow of death. I'll say three things to you about that and then make a few reflections. The first thing that we can learn about life in the valley of the shadow of death is if you're in the wilderness, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. Can we just say that first? I grew up in, a, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, kind of word of faith, charismatic hub of the universe. tulsa Jerusalem, we call it. <laughs> and, you know, people would come through and they'd preach a message on faith and your best life now. And if you would just do these things and plug and play the formula, your life will always work for you. And if your life isn't working for you, the implicit and sometimes the explicit message was, well, what have you done wrong to mess it up? Where's the hidden sin in your life? Are you not confessing your, you know, saying the scriptures out the right way and positive confession? Like, like you get this sense that if life isn't working, that I must have jacked this up. And I'll just tell you that Jesus going out into the wilderness is the story that if you find yourself in the wilderness, it doesn't necessarily mean you've done something wrong. It says in Luke chapter 4 verse 1, and the spirit of the Lord led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Sometimes the spirit of the Lord is teaching us. Sometimes the spirit of the Lord is guiding us. If you find yourself in the wilderness, it doesn't necessarily mean you've done something wrong. The people of God have been called pilgrims throughout the centuries. Why? Because that's to suggest that sometimes we're on this long journey, and it's not always a straight line, and it's not always the valley, it's not always the green pasture. Sometimes you're on this meandering journey of faith, and you don't really even know how you got here, and it doesn't feel like the blessing of God has been unleashed in your life. And, and I just want you to know, like, welcome to the story of faith. There's a reason why they call it the life of faith, not the life of certainty, because we're on this journey. And so if you are in the valley of the shadow of death, I want you to know it doesn't mean that you've messed this up. Wilderness is part of the experience of faith. Wilderness is where we learn to travel light. You can't carry a bunch of stuff with you. You're not at home. You're not established. Sometimes you're out on the journey, and so you've got to learn to be lean and mean, and you've got to learn to live by faith, and you've got to learn to pray, give us this day our daily bread. If you're out in the wilderness, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. The second thing I want to say is that if you're in the wilderness, you have to keep moving. Even though I walk through, He doesn't say, even though I get out into the wilderness and then I just sort of set up my shop there 
and I stay there, and life's never going to change, and this is it, and this is the moment where it all comes up. He says, no, I'm in the wilderness. I'm out in the valley of the shadow of death, and even though I walk through, we've got to keep moving in times like this. This is not to suggest that we ignore the pain, not at all. There needs to be seasons of rest. There needs to be seasons of recovery. There needs to be seasons of counseling and soul care and soul work. But I'll suggest that counseling and soul care are actually learning how to walk through the valley. It's to keep moving through the valley of the shadow of death. The Chicago fire happened a good long while ago in the 1800s, and there was a man living in Chicago named Horatio. And Horatio was married to his wife, Anna, and they had four daughters, four beautiful daughters. Horatio and his wife, Anna, loved each other. They were originally from England, and they came over because they saw business opportunities in the big city of Chicago. And here they were, and now everything is burned down to a crisp, and Horatio's got to stay home and see, here in Chicago, see if you know, he can figure out some insurance settlement, but really they've lost everything. So he takes his wife, Anna, and their four daughters to the coast in New York, puts them on a boat, and he sends them back home to England, and he says, I'll be over in, a, in another week. I've got to go settle up the accounts. So he puts his wife and four daughters on the boat, and they go over to England, and somewhere along the way in the middle of the Atlantic, the ship goes down. And the four daughters all perish in the ocean. Somehow Anna is rescued and gets on a boat and is taken to England. And she sends a telegram back home to her, her, the love of her life, Horatio. And she says two words, saved alone. He had heard about the news that this ship had gone down and he was wondering, and he gets a telegram from his wife, saved alone. He goes out to the coast the next week, gets on the next ship over, and he's going out into the Atlantic to go join his wife. And the captain of the ship knew that Mr. Horatio, who was on this uh, ship, just lost his four daughters the week before. And the captain comes to him right in the spot where the, the previous ship had gone down. And he said, Mr. Horatio, this is where your daughters perished. And he got out his pen that day on the high seas, and he wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, and sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford, in that moment of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, understood, yes, you have to name it, yes, you have to feel it, yes, you have to lament, do not, take, do, do not cut corners and do not ignore it, but he also understood in that moment that this is a moment that you have to keep walking. Even though I walk through the valley, I'm going to keep pressing on. When peace like a river, when sorrows like sea billows, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, I'm going to keep worshiping the good shepherd somehow, some way. I'm going to say it is well, it is well with my soul. If you're in the valley of the shadow of death today, one, I want to say we're with you and we're grieving with you and we're standing with you. And as a church, this is the beauty of the body of Christ. We will help you keep walking through the valley of the shadow of death. If you're walking through the valley, you have to learn with your friends and your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ to keep going. The third thing that we can learn about walking through the valley is if you're in the wilderness, 
you don't have to suffer stifling anxiety. If you're there, it doesn't have to be that your life is overtaken with all of the fear. What does David say? Even though I walk through, I'm in it. I'm feeling it. I'm in the cave. I've lost my family. I've lost my connections. I'm about to get killed innocently. Even though I walk through, he says, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you study the life of David, there's a deep irony that you can play with in his story, the the way his story is told. The deep irony is that those were actually, those wilderness years were actually some of the best years of David's life. Faith and trust and simplicity and obedience and he's got deep friendship with these 600 people that are tucked away with him in the cave of Adullam. All the the people who were indebted and discontented and just disinherited, all this ragtag group of people show up in this cave with David, and you actually get the sense that though the circumstances are worse than they have ever been, David has the deepest joy he will ever have. There's this deep irony that he finds peace and comfort and blessing and joy and love in the valley of the shadow of death. There's this playfulness and childlikeness, a bounce in David's step, and He's playing silly tricks on Saul. Saul goes into a cave to relieve himself, to go to the restroom. And David sneaks up and cuts off a portion of his robe. Like David could have killed him that day, but he's just playing tricks. Like David is in the valley and he's somehow playful. And then the irony switches. David finds himself back in the palace one day as the king of Israel. And actually you see his life start to kind of come apart. He gets so serious now. He gets kind of hardened and rigid and and difficult, and he's living, looking over his shoulder. David's on the run in the wilderness, and he's got this bounce in his step, and he gets back to the palace, and life kind of collapses in on him. He says that if you're in the valley, you don't have to suffer stifling anxiety. I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Friends, today, if you're in the wilderness, I want to encourage you to to have the eyes of faith to begin to look for the joy the Lord might be giving you today. A little surprise gift of his peace, a surprise gift of his his presence and his love. Those years at New Life Church that I told you about that Lisa and I were walking through, I mean, we... Most days we fell into bed at the end of the night just going, like, can we go another day? Those years were so hard, but, you know, looking back with a little bit of hindsight, you know what they also were? They were some of the holiest years we could ever expect. Presence of God, the comfort of God, the closeness of God. People started telling the truth around our church, and we started living open-hearted. Why? Because we had to. You can't travel through the valley alone. So those are three observations about life in the valley, and I want to today put three things in front of you. How do we experience the good shepherd in the midst of the valley? I'll be quick here. The first thing that I want you to say, or I want you to see, is that spend time in God's presence every day. How do we walk through the valley? Spend time in God's presence every day. Throw your phone away for an hour. Turn it off. And sit down in his presence and open up your hands and, and tell him the truth. Tell him, name the stuff. 
He knows what's going on in the valley. He doesn't want you to ignore that. Like, lament in his presence. Give it to him. But also invite the presence of the Spirit to surprise you with joy and to comfort you and to give you peace. If you're walking through the valley, you've got to spend time in God's presence every single day to wait on the Lord. The second thing I want you to see is that you've got to spend time with God's people every week. Every week. What we just witnessed today we'll all be thinking about for the rest of the week. I come in every, I'm a pastor. I do this, this is my job. And every single week I come to church and about the first five minutes, I'm just, I'm just, got the week on me, right? Do you ever come to church just carrying the week that you've had and the difficult conversations at work that you've had and, and the, you know, just difficult. Life is, life is complex, But about five or ten minutes into the service, somewhere in the second song, something breaks in my soul and my heart opens up and I lift my hands and I begin to sing, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father, and there is no shadow of turning with thee. The people of God, there's something that happens in his presence that shifts our perspective, that opens up our hearts. Spend time with God's people every single week as you serve here at the church or you're in small groups in your home or mom's groups or doing this Gehenna gift shop thing. Like, link up with the people of God and you'll find yourself emboldened. You'll find yourself strengthened. You'll find uh, the courage to keep going another day or another week. There's something about the people of God. And I'll just tell you, American Christians, on average, go to church 1.5 times a month. We go to the gym more than we go to church. <laughs> like, it, like, I'm not here shaming anyone, but like it, 1.5 times a month ain't going to cut it. <laughs> in the difficult world that we're living in, we're hearing the messages, the darkness, the political tribalism, all of the world news, and it is suffocating if we're not careful. But when I come together with the saints and live in, in step with the people of God, I find courage to keep walking even through the valley of the shadow of death. So you're doing the right thing by investing time and deepening your roots here and becoming the body of Christ together. If you'll do that work over the long haul, you will find yourself at the end of your life in green pastures and beside quiet waters, and your soul will be restored. Travel together with the people of God. Spend time every day in God's presence and spend time every week with the people of God. And the third thing that I want to say about traveling through the valley Spend time helping someone else through theirs. Spend time helping someone else through theirs. When life collapses in on us, it's very easy for me to just see my story. But serving someone else actually breaks me out of the closed life that I'm living and enables me to to find strength that I didn't know I could have. And there's something about giving back. There's something about giving people a great Christmas that couldn't give themselves a great Christmas, that brings simple joy, right? So when we're traveling through the valley of the shadow of death, we've got to help other people get through their own valleys. It'll change your perspective on your own wilderness, and it'll help you break out of the tunnel vision that besets all of us. And so today, I want us to begin to, to quiet our hearts here. We're going to ask a couple of reflection questions. So could you just close your eyes and Maybe just even open up your hands like this uh, beside you as a a sign of surrender and receptivity that you're willing to receive what the Lord has for you in this time. The band's going to come here in just a minute, but 
The first thing I want to do is for those of you who are just right in the middle of the valley, I want to pray strength over you. I want to stand with you as a brother in Christ and and pray courage. And so, Lord, right now, I pray that you would help my friends. For those who are weary and heavy laden, for those who are in a spot where it would just be super easy to quit, for those who are confused and living in the storm, Lord, I pray right now, the great peace be still of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for wisdom to walk forward. I pray for grace to walk forward. I pray for courage and supernatural strength to walk forward, that even though I walk through the valley, I pray that they would be able to somehow keep going today. And Lord, I pray that you would reverse the circumstances where there is the enemy at work. In Jesus' name, we rebuke the devil's plans for for God's people. And Lord, I pray that you would free your people and that you would supply all of their needs and that you would lead them into paths of righteousness, Lord, because your name is on the line. So today, Lord, I pray strength and courage and boldness and faith to rise up in the people of God. Lord, I pray you'd give us grace in the valley to fear no evil and to find your comfort. And all God's people said, amen. Two questions I want to ask you. As the band is getting ready to come, some reflections. Sit with this for a minute or so. What circumstances in my life needs the peace of God today? What circumstances need the peace of God today? Where where can you invite God to bring his peace and his comfort today in the middle of the valley? The second thing I want to ask is what routines do I need to add to my life? Simple tweaks. Maybe it's joining a small group. Maybe it is jumping in on the Gehenna gift shop thing and just being more involved. Maybe it's morning prayer every morning. You're going to carve out 15 minutes that you're not currently spending and you're just going to sit, open the scriptures and let the peace of God wash over you. What circumstances need the peace of God and what routines do I need to change today? Let's spend a a second here thinking about this and then the band's going to lead us in worship. Thanks for listening. We hope this psalm rings in your head and your heart all week long. To find out more about our church, to attend a service, or to give online, visit threecreekschurch.com. 